Okay, ready. Let's do it. Thank you. Thank you. This is this Immerse, is the podcast in book. We are delighted to have you join us. Immerse is produced by Charlie Morrow, Sean McCann, and Bart Plantinga for Morrow Sound, Vermont, and Helsinki, and Recital Edition, Los Angeles. Thomas Krauper is a German astrophysicist who specialized in X-ray astronomy at the Max Planck Institute for Extraterrestrial Physics. He's managed a kind of magical situation by combining math and physics with his love of planetariums and music to create numerous interactive edutainment and art science crossover projects that have attracted artists such as Red Snapper, Heaven 17, and Pink Floyd at several planetariums, most recently as director of Planetarium Hamburg, which he transformed into one of the most advanced planetariums in the world before retiring in 2022. He also serves as a consultant for immersive theaters worldwide. I met Thomas in Colorado Springs, Colorado, at one of the first Immersa gatherings. Our conversation continued on topics of music and sound's powers on perception. His invitation for me to join and chair the International Planetarium Society Committee for Immersive Sound has opened the door for many projects. We cross paths at Immersa Montreal 2022. Thomas, it's great to have you on Immerse. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Thomas. So I appreciate your meeting me. I'm working on a book and a podcast, and I'm making an interview with people I've collaborated with, and you're one of the most important people for me because of this invitation to me to become part of the International Planetarium Society, which has been quite quite an experience and leads, in fact, to this project. I'm asking two questions, and one is how does immersivity figure into your practice? I mean, obviously, your work with planetarium experience, but immersivity in particular, how does that work for you? And the other is a timeline. How did you get to where you are in this thinking and in this interest, or in reverse, backwards from where you are? How do you think it happened? Well, we, we simply start in trying to make sense of what I'm seeing. Well, when you were a, a kid, there must have been some magical experience that led to winding up in the planetary world, for example. I mean, what do you think uh, excited you in this direction? Because you have a, a magical theater in which you can present anything in sound and image to your audiences. And so something must have started you out in this direction. Well, I was always fascinated by nature uh, and it was always outdoor and exploring. Then there was the influence from meeting friends.
friends at the public observatory, which had a diverse background, who were not students of science, but who studied music or were in other professions. And we always gathered to, to experience a dark night sky around the Perseids. I think that was critical of like seeing the meteor shower, spending nights on the mountains in sleeping bags. And we were having fun and uh, creating sounds ourselves, uh, singing and uh, being immersed by the beauty of the night sky and sort of attached to the earth. We felt like as if we are diving into the starry night, uh, as if uh, up is down and down is up below our feet, below our body. So we tried to imagine this Part, being part of that universe that rotates around us or even us rotating through the universe in that night. And so it was a combination of people with their background in art and a uh, love of music and sound and my own love of music and the immenseness and immersivity of nature and the uh, Milky Way stretching around us and the night sky with shooting stars. So it was just this breathtaking impressions. And so this combination that we always had in mind to combine the arts with science and writing poems, reciting poems on, under the night sky. So it was natural to me to go to the planetarium and there I listened to music and to Bruckner symphonies or the Alpine symphony by Richard Strauss, who were very big orchestras and all elements of nature and even remote orchestra like Richard Strauss was a master in that. In, in having like separate groups of orchestra placing them hundreds of meters away and also Charles Ives at that time really influenced me uh, listening to his music and his marching brass bands from the distance so that was fascinating for me as a young school kid and just about ready to go to the university and so I, I guess those influences really made me wish uh, to to put all this together we always tried that in, in the at the public observatory to do like the ultimate symphony of combining imagery and the sound and so it's like the as we say Gesamtkunstwerk I think is even an English word now a Germanism yeah, definitely, definitely a, a, a Germanism in English and uh, probably many other languages because it uh, it says it all. So nature or all that surrounds me in, in sound and vision is like a Gesamtkunstwerk and it's something we reflect on and it goes in all directions. So I, I, I love to experiment and at that time, remember, it was like uh, the late 60s and early 70s then and uh, Mid-70s, uh, what I just talking about is mid-70s to even early 80s then. There was stereo sound and then in, in the 80s I remember where I, I bought the first 5.1 equipment for my living room and, and that was fascinating. It was something completely new to have uh, available uh, sounds in sort of surround sound setup and I always uh, try to use uh, the best sound equipment and uh, so it seems I've never stopped doing that. 
Well, that, that sounds absolutely inspiring, and uh, I'm glad that you, <laughs> that you had those experiences because you've been able to bring that now in the in the work that you do in in Hamburg. It's not just in the planetarium, but also around and uh, with the community. And, and one thing also, certainly in the 80s, then the influence of the IMAX, the big screen, that was totally overwhelming quality, especially of the sound. The image is one thing, but The sound quality was something that really amazed me and I, I, I loved the planetarium and I started the planetarium to experiment in the planetarium already like 1973 at the public observatory where we had a small planetarium there. And we always combined music with cassette players at that time, but uh, very poor sound quality. But it upgraded as soon as we were involved in listening and seeing IMAX movies. And it was so amazing that we tried to then later in the planetarium to get that sound quality also for the planetarium. That was a good start. I hear you. That That's a very good story and it, uh, I, I feel your excitement about it. <laughs> it's brilliant to begin to understand things through those voices that you heard. You know, at that time there was experimental music started. I loved Pink Floyd. I loved like those sounds uh, which were like space sounds were like all around you. The experiments that Pink Floyd did in the concerts in the 70s, uh, but already I was a fan of Pink Floyd in the uh, late 60s. Uh, and also the Beatles uh, with multi-track recordings, all that was fascinating. And I bought uh, tape recorders and uh, Ampex and Revox and, and all those brands which were very familiar at that time. And it was fascinating to use tapes and multi-track uh, tapes. So the advances in technology, the space race, the film industry, all that uh, left a deep impact. Uh, the storytelling, my really intention with, with my friends who inspired me to, to bring that all together. So in a sense to do something that people haven't done before or at least experiment in bringing stuff together that was never brought together in that way. So I, I, I feel very happy that I have this the opportunity to meet all those great, wonderful friends there and they inspired me. And later it was the U.S. and then my traveling to the United States as soon as I started my planetarium career in 1983-84. In Stuttgart I went to first uh, vacation, I went to first time the United States and saw uh, New York, Hayden Planetarium, Bill Good, uh, who inspired me a lot and who worked with big Hollywood actors and created soundtracks. And, and so it was the intention to do big things, to really do good quality and not just uh, do what, what everybody else had been doing in the past. Well, you certainly have done unique things and um, maybe you could speak a little about some of the um, the things that you have tried you know from that time forward because uh, you, you've been always a pioneer well thank you but it was only other people who inspired me by what they have been doing as pioneers so like i said friends from and colleagues in the united states for example and also certainly in 
Europe. Well, I started uh, experimenting with, with artists and combining music and, and live, live action, in a sense, in Stuttgart in the 80s. But it was uh, just a stereo sound system there in the dome. But uh, then I had the chance to design the new planetarium for Deutsches Museum on the Museum Island in Munich, Forum der Technik. And it was at that time when it opened in 1993, the most advanced planetarium. And then I worked with, at that time, with Steve Savage of Skyscan. And we called it the Farfrognuden Planetarium because at that time, VW Volkswagen had an ad about Favrignügen and Favrignügen, a German word, was used worldwide to market that thing. We said we want to have Favrignügen, the joy of uh, running a planetarium. We want to enjoy it and want people to enjoy it. So we thought what is best. So we even used underseat speakers because I wanted to create like a cricket sound needs to come from below or water sound when you have poetry and talking about water or other and that was a 5.1 sound system inspired by what at that time Skyscan had been doing in uh, Concord, New Hampshire was at that time a very one of the most advanced latest planetariums smaller dome so it was an enormous system at that time with uh, moving video projectors uh, slewing video projectors where you could program them the tilt and, and so the image moves up on the dome and we only had only 5.1 plus the extra channel, the under seat channel, but it was awesome because uh, it attracted a lot of uh, musicians, a lot of composers, and we had uh, even the management from Pink Floyd came and we did a Pink Floyd show and they were really coming and saying, oh, it's stunning, you need to meet uh, David Gilmore. And can we have that show for, for the launch of the album? What was it? Uh, was after Division Bell, the, the live album, the double album, and it had this blinking LED in, in the cover. And so we, we did a, a lot of album releases with Snap, for example, did a show Welcome Tomorrow. So there was a lot of excitement about sound there, but 5.1. And later, when I was working for the New York Plant Tram, for the New Haven Plant Tram, they wanted a better sound system, not just 5.1. So uh, that was the multi-channel theater, Mamea speakers and Mamea sound system. But it was very difficult to operate at the time they opened in 2000. And in 2000 I went to Hamburg after that uh, consulting job in New York and uh, had the chance to kind of refocus and rebuild or upgrade the Hamburg plane train. And it was fantastic because I could freely choose the technology. So uh, when we reopened shortly after, I found out about the spatial sound wave system of the Fraunhofer Institute. And uh, so we installed that system with 64 speakers and we still use it. And uh, the interesting thing is that the planetarium is, I call it an infinity space because you don't have a lot of spaces where people really can talk about infinity or can reflect about huge spaces. And architecture always 
is associated and has to deal with acoustics. And dome is usually a very bad uh, in terms of acoustic, and all the planetarium domes were very bad in their acoustic. Unfortunately, I learned from the work with Skyscan, from the work with Evans and Sutherland, and, and others, uh, that it from those theaters they have been designing that you really have to dampen to really have a, almost a sound dead room and then create the sound field with the speakers so the planetarium as I said is an infinity room you can create if you close your eyes and listen to the sound you can't you should be able to create a sound dead room, which is sort of, as you might say, infinite, because you don't hear a reflection. It's very difficult for us to digest as humans, but you need to be able to scale the universe to get the right scales. So you need a room where you can change the size of the room acoustically. And that was the ultimate dream. And I think we've set up like a spatial sound wave or similar systems like the ones you designed, Charlie, it's fantastic now to create infinite rooms or the feeling of infinity and it's it's the grandest thing to do to put people in the universe in the middle of the universe and touch them emotionally touch their hearts and their minds and that's most important for planet terms that you have to create stories. You have, you have so many tools in the planetarium, not just visual storytelling, but acoustic and sound is more than 50%, I would say. It's underrated in most theaters and it really drives me mad when I visit planetarium. You enter it and you see uh, the infinity of the universe, you see the stars, and beautiful quality, believable, it's, people think it's very realistic, authentic, but as soon as the voice kicks in or the music, it sounds like you're in a room of the size of a bathroom. So it sounds terrible and it destroys the whole illusion. So we are magicians in a way in the planetariums or everybody who creates entertainment or entertainment uh, venue. And in the planetarium, it's critical that it's authentic. So you need to have believable acoustics meaning the, no reverb uh, where it shouldn't be there. So and I love it to have people in the room who really feel they are inside the story. And the stories, we try to expand and uh, use the space more than just a visual space, but as a space where you can dive into an audio story. Uh, we invited, for example, the... Uh, or we came across the fact that we could have radio stories like Hörspiele, uh, as we say in, in Germany. And there's one called The Three Detectives. The Hitchcock, based uh, Alfred Hitchcock, had the idea to create those stories. And for 40 years now, they are so popular in Germany. Big following. They fill big arenas just telling the stories. The three detectives sitting there on stage. So no visual effects. And so the idea was to do that in the planetarium. Just gather people because it's a social space to gather people and put them inside a story. And really uh, no, no mobile phones interrupt hopefully and no environmental sounds 
from outside. So people jointly dive into a story and it's a detective story and we did this, we started this, nobody believed it would be successful but with the sound system, with this immersiveness of sound, people paid uh, like 15 or 18 euro to listen for one and a half hour to the story they could hear with their headphones at home but the sound quality is so good with the uh, immersive sound beyond 5.1 that uh, people paid the money and also they are with friends it's like in the movie theater or in the theater uh, as any theater it's a social venue so people gather together to experience something they can discuss and debate afterwards and it's very successful it was selling out the stories for one year or more than one year, three times a week, and it's amazing. So this was a kind of an innovation, as you might call it, these type of audio stories or radio stories in the planetarium, but also to create sound, immersive sound effects and stories where sound is very important. Uh, we, we do not use 5.1. Most of the time we use the, the 64 speakers and have uh, use also the depth of the sound field and the impact is, is much better and also the transparency of the sound and the beauty of, of the experience and that's ultimately what counts. People love it so it became very successful our theater uh, we were the first in the end now adding also 3d immersive images so we became the first planetarium to offer immersive 3d sound and vision so with classic with shutter glasses we could project uh, an immersive 360 degree or full dome visual and even in real time and and it will be the next step to experiment in real time to develop new art forms where we move objects, uh, sound and visual optic objects in 3D space, visuals 3D space and in audio. And it's all in sync. And that's challenging, but more and more artists are now coming and, and trying to create some artwork for the Hamburg Planetarium. And there are other theaters now who started a setup similar to ours so we can even work in, in a sort of a network of theaters. Well, that's a wonderful story. I appreciate so much that you have uh, taken the time to tell me your story. I'm very pleased for what, what we've got. Um, for me, the influence of uh, meeting people is the most important thing, and talking to artists, meeting artists. I mean, I'm so happy I met Georgi uh, Ligeti, and whose mu his music was so inspiring uh, in, in 2001 Space Odyssey. It was classical music, but it was modern classic, contemporary classical music, and also Penderecki and others. Although I'm not a musician, and I can't even read a score but I, I have a good hearing I'm good ears I think and I, I love to learn about new music and what others do and in sound and music and it's fascinating to offer them a place or a stage where their music and their inspirational work can be presented and I think the planetarium is uh, is such a space 
It's the infinity room, infinite uh, in space, uh, in sound, and vision. And that should be much more known. It goes beyond astronomy, way beyond astronomy. And we have done so many presentations way beyond just stars. It's about us. It's about a reflection of us with what's around us. And the third dimension is most important for understanding the universe. Why would you show a two-dimensional image and why do you want to listen to a two-dimensional or one-dimensional sound if the world around us is three-dimensional or even nine-dimensional? Look at string theory. So you have to open up the minds and the senses of people and where are spaces and the planetariums are the spaces where you can demonstrate and teach people's senses, young people, older people, to look at nature, to listen carefully, look around them, not just look forward. There is not only one, not just one direct. We can go forward, everybody is saying, yeah. You can go sideways, left, right, you can go backwards. So there is much more directions you have to think about and you should sometimes also raise your head and look up and also look down and look sideways and sound really and visuals make you turn your head and turn your and change maybe your opinion because it's about us it's about us and our planet. We have to find new perspectives. And I think in the three dimensions, it's the only way to change your perspective on our world and to look at it, experience it in visual and with your ears in three dimensions. It's most important, I think, for the future of our civilization that we learn that and use it carefully. Well, thank you for that good thought. Reminds that's the way it was when, before technology, people would be walking around in the woods or in the mountains. No technology, but they'd be looking up and down and all around. And that world, except for some rare cases, is more or less lost on a lot of people. People look at their smartphone, they look on one spot, one angle, a small angle of you. But there's something beyond your smartphone, beyond green. And if you're looking at the theater, which has a stake, but you're all outside what's happening. If you watch a play, which has just a stage, which just forward direction. But if it's immersive, then you're part of the action, you're in the action, and you have a responsibility for what's going on, because you're an actor yourself in the cosmic landscape, in the environment we live in. So we have an obligation to use our senses, not just in one dimension. Brilliant. I uh, am very inspired by what you're saying, and uh, I thank you very much for this interview, and uh, more to come. So thank you so much, Thomas. Well, thank you. A conversation on right. last was here. But no, there's somebody else even there. There's more people and projects you were involved. And I was really impressed to hear that you work with those people. But I don't recall it now. Sorry. 
getting old. Oh, well, maybe you'll remember and we'll let's be, yeah. be pen pals. I'd love to share with you the latest work that we're doing with sound, which is uh, quite interesting because we're putting sound into hospitals and workplaces and mixing it with various kinds of, of controlled noise in order to be able to create uh, privacy or mood changes and so forth, treating life as though it were a, a movie, so to speak, or a production, and then adding science to it to measure the reaction of people. So these are the new directions, you know, that my work has gone in. Wonderful. I have one aspect thought about again. I didn't mention this home, this aspect. People feel comfortable only if, well, they know where they are. And in the planetarium, we tell the ultimate story we are telling is tell the story, where are we? Because people always, you know, when you, you meet somebody in a foreign location, they, they ask you for directions. They ask you, maybe no longer with, with smartphones, but people want to know where they are and where, where home is. So the first thing people build is a house. As a kid, you build a house, you build home, you build your own house. So you, you feel uncomfortable if you don't know where you are. You feel uncomfortable if you don't know where your home is. If you... You relax and feel comfortable. You see, I'm home, I'm here, this is my home. And sound, not just vision, sound gives you this comfort. It can give you the comfort of feeling, I'm home, I'm here, this is my environment. It gives you some pleasure. So this feeling home is uh, something that can irritate sound. So in sound environment and the acoustic is so important to open up people, that they listen to you, that they look around, because when they don't hear a comfortable sound environment, they will not listen to you, they will not look around and be, feel happy. So I think in the planetarium you can only tell stories about home, where are you in the, in the universe, space and time, when you create that home feeling also, not just that, with the sound system, with immersive sound, because it's always an immersion that creates that home feeling, not something that you hold in front of you. It's amazing that you say that. I don't know if you've read Bachelard, but he's written very, very precisely about that sense of home and space, and as a child, even hiding in a closet in his parents, or being in a little basement room with his grandfather, but that whole sense of being in a place that is home and uh, he writes it as a spiritual experience i think it's ultimately what people want to want to know in the planetarium it's really there where are we what was this earth and uh, i mean if you tell me it's only this tiny speck there and it's just uh, somewhere at the edge of a galaxy that doesn't help that destroys that home feeling but uh, you need to create it differently. But some relation, the human relationship is most important. And it's inhuman if you put people in, in a sound environment they don't feel comfortable with, they don't feel home with. In, in a sense, not completely home, there's only one home maybe, but ultimately planet Earth is our home. So all those sound environments can be taught to be home. And I think it's a learning curve by people. Like you said, uh, maybe a small container, some people call home sometimes, or homeless people, uh, some, some corner in the streets where they feel comfortable at least to some extent but everything comes together there it's not just the visual impact of that corner but it's 
also the sound environment. The way you, you need a sound environment to sleep, for example. Sometimes people cannot sleep if it's too quiet. It's very interesting. Some other people uh, like to hear water, sound of water, to feel calm and sleep. Others can't sleep with that. So it's it, sound is, is very interesting how our brain accommodates and how we combine, how our brain wires that uh, over the phase where we grow up. Probably not everybody has the same experience there. But, well, but anyway. maybe some variation of it if it's a formula, home is someplace, there's a stabilizing part of your sensibility yeah. that yeah. needs to know where am I standing? Well, what makes me feel it's important to immersive work is exactly creating uh, those, well, <laughs> feelings of home and, and uh, relationship. Let's say there needs to be a relationship between people and environments. I'm delighted for our conversation, which is part of our friendship and will go on in the future, I hope. And uh, just it's part of our endless conversation, which has gotten us through time. You know, we keep on finding ourselves in relationship to each other and sharing thoughts and, and deeper feelings. I'm happy that you feel comfortable enough with me to share these kind of thoughts. I certainly feel the same comfort with you to share those kind of, of deep thoughts. Since it's not everybody that you can have this conversation with, although one hopes that everyone will find their home and so forth. <laughs> well, thank you. I feel comfortable and home too <laughs> when I listen to your voice. You have a great voice, but you know that. Well, thank you so much. I will be in touch soon. And, and take care and all the best till soon. Bye-bye. Bye, Tom. Thank you. This is Immerse, the podcast and book. We are delighted to have you join us. Immerse is produced by Charlie Morrow, Sean McCann, and Bart Plantenga for Morrow Sound, Vermont and Helsinki, and Recital Edition, Los Angeles. Immerse. Immerse. An empty shell to fall back into the sea. <laughs>